Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday. That means we've come to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, especially on a day like today where the streets are wet, uh, the safest way to call if you're driving is by using the KSLR uh, mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, time is getting away from me. I I had asked Paula this morning, is this Communion Sunday? This is the first Sunday of the month, so it is Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. I know it will be at a lot of your churches as well. I pray that you go to the Lord's table with absolute joy and gratitude in your hearts. Now, don't forget, when you go to bed Saturday night to turn your clocks back, that means the world will be right again. We get that extra hour of sleep that we lost earlier. We get that back. Uh, So that's this Saturday when you go to bed, Sunday morning. Um, we get that extra hour. And here at Calvary Chapel, we have a kind of a tradition. I guess we've been doing this for 15 or more years um, uh, because a lot of people get messed up in their time is the way it started. Um, We have pancake breakfast on the days that we turn our clocks either uh, forward or backward, depending on the time of year. So starting around 7, what time? 7.45. 7.45. We'll be serving pancakes and sausages here in our parking lot, uh, just in the entrance to the front of the church. And you are all invited if you want to come. Uh, We stop serving right after second service starts. So um, if you're a third service person or or if you want to come and visit, just come a little early, enjoy some pancakes, and then we will have uh, our three morning services. Always excited for that. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of Philippians chapter 1. I'm only going to do three verses tonight. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, And so that's our Friday night service. And then on Sunday, uh, I'm excited because we're starting a brand new book. We're going to do the book of Acts. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls since it's raining and there's not a lot to do out there. Besides vote, you can go vote, but if uh, you call, we'll we'll take your phone calls. Let's get to some questions until the phones pop in. Juan says, can somebody who has the gift of tongues use it whenever they want or only when the Holy Spirit commands them to? Juan, I think that's one of the problems with tongues. We kind of expect that it's going to happen like it did in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. It doesn't happen that way now. It is a gift that we can use, and I think we need a purpose to use it. That's what walking in faith is all about. Um, 
but it's not for the person that just says, okay, God, if you want me to speak in tongues, make me do it. It doesn't happen that way. Remember, every gift that God gives you has to be received, first of all, and then it's received by faith, and that requires that we trust God. So um, when you have the gift of tongues, and Juana, you've, you've been listening to the program, uh, I, I have the gift of tongues. Uh, I use it um, usually when I'm just out walking with the Lord, uh, but um, it's a gift that we can utilize um, as we believe the Spirit is leading, but it's not something that the Spirit forces us to do. And as I said a minute ago, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people haven't received the gift of tongues. They they don't have an understanding of that. It's going to be like it was in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And, and no, they had no choice. That was the Holy Spirit's grand entrance into the world. But the gift of tongues today is different. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. It is a gift like all other gifts. Yesterday on the program, Paula was here. We talked about her gift of encouragement. Um, she can use that or she can quench that. And and it's like all other gifts. We can use it for the glory of God, and it's something I think we ought to use more often probably than we do. It's also something, one, that we should never use incorrectly. And sometimes you go into churches where everybody is speaking in tongues all at the same time, and that's an incorrect use, uh, unbiblical use of the gift of tongues. I have had people say, well, Pastor, we just believe different. In our church, we believe. It doesn't matter doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what the Word of God says. And God has given us very specific instructions about the use of his gifts, and especially the gift of tongues. It's as though he knew it was going to be misused or abused. Thank you for the question, Juan. I appreciate it very, very much. Margaret says, Pastor Ron, should pastors like you call out false teachers by name? Um, boy, big debate on that, Margaret. I don't know. Um, let me tell you what I've learned over the years. As a young pastor, now I was never a young pastor. I got saved when I was almost forty. But as a an, a, an immature pastor, just getting started out, uh, I like to challenge people, and I wanted people to know the truth, and I could justify it. Uh, all I wanted to by saying, "Well, they're false teachers," and Paul called out Alexander by name and others, um, but. The reality is I learned that when I started using names, I lost people. I don't mean I lost people in the church. I mean I lost their attention because that's all they could think about was I listen to this person. He seems okay to me. Why doesn't Pastor Ron like him? And I, I just I didn't like losing their attention. And so God, I think, in my as I matured, gave me a little bit of wisdom, and I began talking about the doctrines that they teach rather than the people by name. And a funny thing happened, Margaret, because people started coming to me following the services or writing letters or emails to me and saying things like, well, well, I heard you talk about this doctrine and this is what so-and-so teaches. Is he or is she a false teacher? And then I was able to respond and say yes. And this is the Holy Spirit now giving you discernment. So I, I think we like the shock value of calling people out by name, and we can get on our self-righteous horses and justify it. But one of the things, Margaret, that we who are Bible teachers need to remember is that communication is our business. It's our job. And the minute we, we cease to communicate with somebody, we're no longer able to do our job um, accurately or correctly. So... Um, I wouldn't tell a pastor not to. Uh, in the last 15 years, uh, I probably only mentioned names a couple of times. And that was because I felt like the Lord was leading me to do that. Uh, and it was never pre-planned. It was just something that as I'm teaching, I believe the Holy Spirit was prompting me to do it. So uh, I think we have to be judicious. We have to be prayerful and try to be sure that we're only doing that as the Spirit leads. It is hard. And this is a hard thing, especially I'm a Bible teacher. The Bible is my life, literally. Um, and one of the things that, that I need to remember is that God loves those people who are teaching false doctrine. And he loves the people that they're leading astray. Does it make him angry? Yeah, but here's the difference. Margaret, his anger is righteous, and mine usually isn't. 
So it's better to be careful, to be cautious, and say nothing rather than err on the side of of uh, slandering somebody. And, and slander doesn't necessarily have to be untrue uh, if our intent is to harm someone. I know it makes our flesh feel good, but I just don't think it is the most effective way to communicate. Here's a difficult question from Randall. He says, and I don't know if he's challenging me or just asking, how can you be so sure that there is a God, that he is real? Uh, Randall, um, only God could change my life. Um, I was the biggest jerk. I was a, 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 an unkind, uncaring person. And I met Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, and he changed my life. That's what Paul's writing to the churches in Thessalonica. He, he lists his sins, and, and then he says to the, the, the people at the church, he says, and such were some of you, but you have been born again. You have been transformed. And um, um, the, the, the transformation in a human Randall can only happen if there's a God. Now, I'll give some more empirical evidence. I mean, obviously, um, there is the story about Jesus Christ, a man who lived uh, a very limited number of years. His active ministry was even even more limited, three, three and a half years. Um, he lived in a very small area of the world, and he lived... Um, a life with, relatively speaking, as it relates to the rest of the world at the time, very little influence. Uh, I mean, at the end of his ministry, he had 120 or so followers, people that believed him. Um, and yet he changed the world. I mean, literally, he turned the world right side up. This one man in this small little area and believe me, Randall, they had no social media. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Reddit. They didn't have anything else. And yet he changed the world. And that change in the world has continued now for nearly 2,000 years. Only God could do that. Also, evidentially, we have proof that this man who lived was murdered on a cross just as was predicted ahead of time. But we also know the evidence is overwhelming that he didn't stay dead. Only God could do that, especially after predicting that after he was crucified, on the third day he would rise again. So how can I be so sure that there is a God, that he's real? Uh, Randall, I talk to him every day whether I'm not exercising or just taking a walk or just going through my day, I'm talking to the Lord all the time. I wouldn't talk to him if he wasn't real. But the fact that he's changed my life so much, the fact that he's rescued a marriage that I did my best to destroy, the fact that God could take somebody like me and call him to be a pastor. I'm six months old and Lord, I know I'm supposed to be a pastor. And everybody who knew me just thought that was the most impossible thing of all, and yet that's exactly what God did. I didn't make myself a pastor. God called me to be a pastor. So there's, there's there's so many ways to know for sure, but Randall, one of the things, and this may be where you're struggling a little bit, you have to combine what you know about God with faith in him. And so I'm sure that doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't try to bring doubts. It doesn't mean that even on this program, people will sometimes challenge what I believe. And the devil's always there to say, well, how do you know for sure? And the fact that I know is what keeps me focused on the path that he's laid out for me. The Apostle John, uh, who himself is a miraculous story. The Apostle John said he wrote First John so that we would know with certainty that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I always add God the Son. So I'm positive, 100% sure. And Randall, nothing that happens in this world can change my mind. One other comment, Randall, and I'll move on. A lot of times people that say, well, well, if God was real, why does he allow all these bad things to happen in this world? Those are sophomoric questions. 
Those, those are often dishonest questions. Why would anybody blame God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die for the sins of those of us he wants to spend eternity with? Why would we blame God who sent his son on a rescue mission for us? Why would we blame God for the bad things that happen? Evil happens because we live in an evil world, a dark, dark world. And all we have to do is know, remember what God has done for us. So, Randall, that's how I'm so sure. I mean, there's overwhelming evidence. There is experience. There's the Word of God, which predicted things, uh, in some cases, uh, hundreds of years, and in other cases, and prophecy yet to be fulfilled, thousands of years in advance. And he fulfills them precisely. Only God can do that, because only God knows the end from the beginning. So those are the things, Randall, that we've got to focus on. So that's how I know for sure. I have people who will say, well, if, I, if God would show himself to me, if he's real, he should show himself to me. He already did. He already did. And all we have to do is look back at the evidence. Our faith isn't stupid. Our faith isn't blind, trusting faith. Our faith is faith based on factual evidence. And so we can, and God wants us, Randall, to be sure. I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Mitch, an appropriate question. Mitch says, what do you think will happen if Trump runs for president in 2024? Uh, Mitch, I, I, I read something today that, that indicates that he is about to announce uh, his 2024 uh, candidacy, um, I think right after the uh, the Tuesday midterm elections are over. Um, and I think Trump probably wants to ride on what most people are expecting is going to be a, a pretty big red uh, victory, uh, Republican victory uh, in this year's uh, election, midterm elections. Um, but um, what I think will happen, I don't know. I don't know if he'll win. Um, um, I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't run, frankly, Mitch. That's as a Christian now, and this is just perspective. Um, I'm hoping that he doesn't run. Uh, he is too divisive. Uh, there are people who hate him with such a ferocity uh, that they will uh, resort to violence. Um, um, Trump demonstrated in his four years in the office, even though he did some really, really good things. I mean, if he'd have kept his mouth shut, um, he could have been one of the truly great and effective presidents uh, in our history. Um, but but he can't stand prosperity. He, he's, he's, he's like the guy that builds something and, and then burns it down. And, uh, you know, we don't need more division in this country. What we need is if and I'm speaking if, if you're a conservative, Trump is would run as a Republican. Obviously, what we need is a conservative candidate who is going to be a servant of the people, uh, who is a statesman, um, who is a statesman rather than a politician, and who doesn't need the attention. Donald Trump was so needy. Um, that he kept, if if there wasn't attention, he made attention come to him. So um, I'm hoping that he doesn't run. Um, I'm hoping that we will have a, a a much more peaceful presidential election than we did last time. Let me say one more thing about this. We who are Christians, even if you were for Trump in the last election, uh, we who are Christians ought to be embarrassed by our behavior, ashamed of it. We certainly need to repent of it. The horrible things that we have said about President Biden, the horrible things that we said about the president before him, the the horrible things um, that we said to one another, uh, just people who disagreed with us or had a different political view. Um, There's no behavior ever like that that's excusable. We who are believers... Our responsibility is to show the love of Christ to everybody. Love your enemies, Jesus said. That's our ideal, and we have to do it. Now, we don't have to like them to love them, but we certainly can't 
sin and justify it because, well, our political position is the right one. So I hope that helps. Let's go to the phone. We've got Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling again. You're on the air. Hey, God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? Ruben, I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. That's that's good. That's good. I just want to run this by you. Um, last night, I was a uh, I was invited to go to a old uh, what they call the old time religion tent revival. Yeah. Um, they needed a bass player, and you know, I said, Lord, you know, I've been wanting to do your work. So I went, and then this is old Mexican uh, time religion. I don't know if you've ever heard what they call coritos in in Spanish with the old school. Anyways, um, there was a so-called prophet, uh, came up there and started doing his thing, talking to people, casting out demons, mm. and he got to one person where he started yelling at this person and he was like, you know, I commend you to get out of this person. And I see you foul demon of, and he just started saying things, right? And blah, 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 blah. And then he proceeded to preach afterwards. And then he prayed, had an altar call. Then he went up to people. He says, you're going to talk in tongues. He would grab them by the chin. And he says, he would go, blah, 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 like that. Mm-hmm. And then he would tell them to do the same thing. And then they would do it. And then he goes, there you go, talking in tongues. So anyways, long story short, afterwards, we went to go eat together because we were all, (laughs) I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I sat next to him and I just, long story short, I I ticked him off, to say the least, because I told him, I said, hey, um, you know, bro, can you tell me, like, where did, you know, where in the Bible does it say to do what you did tonight? You know, like, and then, you know, he was like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, come on, like, you told these people to talk in tongues, and all they did was regurgitate what you told them. And I didn't mean it. I didn't say it like that. I just, like, and I at the time, I was like, Ruben, what are you doing? <laughs> Respect this man of God. Respect this man of God. And, I, and there was part of me that said that, but then there was another part of me that said, look, I honestly, honestly, I felt something tell me, I felt that it was God saying, look, I'm tired of people doing this in my name. People are getting hurt. And then I said, especially calling out people and telling them, hey, you got this spirit of uh, homosexuality in you. And you're saying this with the microphone. I'm like... I'm like, look, there's a way to do it, man. I go, why would you say that out loud? And, well, he got offended. So needless to say, the question I have. <laughs> you won't get invited because, back. <laughs> I, you know what? I wasn't invited back tonight. <laughs> I was expecting a phone call. No one's called me so far. But, like, I just felt that that's what God told me to do. Uh, I did get a text this morning telling me that I shouldn't have done it that uh, God was going to deal with me. That person told me, I hope God deals with you. And I'm just like, I didn't get offended. I was like, Lord, look, I'm tired of being intimidated by the enemy, and I'm not going to be intimidated by this. You know, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, Ruben, a couple of things. Have I done it a different way? Yeah, no, uh, we're we're running out of time, so let me me do this fairly quickly. Um, You don't have to, you don't worry about respecting a man of God. He, this is not a man of God. This is a false teacher. This is one of those people that needs to be called out. He is ruining people's lives by 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 per, per, pretending he's a man of God and telling somebody there's a spirit of homosexuality in you. Can you imagine the way the devil is going to use that? And so we don't have to be nice. We've got to be polite but we don't have to be nice. This was false teaching. Even if they called you back and said, oh, we need a bass player. Um, it just now I, I, I want nothing to do with that. And, and, you know, they can get offended and they do get offended. It's what they do. However, this is simply not something that God would uh, want any of us to be a part of. And, and the damage that's done, and this is what people don't understand. Um, the damage that's done 
by by people who say they're a prophet. There are no prophets today. Um, the, the people that claim to be prophets, speaking for God, telling people what's wrong with them, or telling people what God wants them to do, he is destroying lives, and there's nothing, nothing uh, godly about that entire thing. It's a show. Uh, it's a circus. Um, things like this, these old tent revivals, pretending to heal people and that kind of nonsense has been going on from the very beginning. The devil has been counterfeiting the genuine move of God's spirit from the very beginning. And so uh, don't worry about it. If you felt like the Lord was telling you to confront him in that way, um, then then he was trusting you with his word and you were actually serving him with the word of notice. So don't worry about it at all, Reuben. Um, don't let the enemy mess with your head. These people are not godly. And just because they speak in the name of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that they have any authority uh, or the, the approval of the Lord in any of the things that they do. I'm so glad God gave us a Bible because we don't have to be duped by these things anymore. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, our final 30 minutes of the week. Um, here is a question from Brian. He says, how does someone go about examining yourself? Uh, Paul says to do it daily. That's the first thing. Every day. Keep short accounts with the Lord. But the idea, Brian, is to examine your life. Am I right with God? Am I living a godly life? Is my life uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Does that describe my life? And then you have the opportunity to to say, God, please forgive me. And that's what the, the whole idea of examining is, to see whether you're in the faith. Now, please notice it didn't say to see whether or not you're saved or whether you've ever been uh, um, born again. Uh, but, but as we walk through this world, um, you know, our lives, we have a sin nature. Um, we fall into sin sometimes. Um, our, we, we, we start sort of drifting away at first, hardly noticeable. And if we don't examine ourselves continually, we can, we can end up, you know, a few months later so far away from God that we, we can't find our way, about, our way back. So how do you go about doing it? It's always the Word. It's the Word. As you read the Bible, it's a mirror into your soul. And so when you read, um, in your anger, do not sin. If you're an angry person and you sin in your anger, um, then you can say, God, forgive me. And you can, at that point, you can have your fellowship restored with God. If you're uh, involved in a sexual relationship with somebody you're not married to, uh, somebody of this, of a different gender that you're not married to, um, um, you open the Bible, it says, flee from sexual immorality. And, and and you can repent. It gives you an opportunity. The problem, Brian, is people don't really examine themselves because most of the time we don't want to hear the answer. Well, this person did this to me and that's why I was angry and that's why there's no excuse. Examining yourself, the whole purpose of it is so that you can be right with God, stay right with God, and you can remain in fellowship with the Lord. So that's how we examine ourselves but remember, keeping short accounts. That's why Paul says to do this daily, keeping short accounts. That way we're always sure that we're in the middle of God's will, that our sins are forgiven, and our access to God is restored completely. So, Brian, I hope that answers your question. It's an important one for all of us. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. 
Uh, Pastor Ron, my son came home from our church's youth group saying that if we truly love people, we would accept them how they are. My goodness. He was explaining to me, and my goodness was my insert there. I'm sorry, I just reacted viscerally. Um, Back to the letter. He was explaining to me how he now supports the LGBTQ agenda because he thinks it's what Jesus would have done. Is he right? If not, what do I do? Does your church or youth group um, deal with this? I don't know what to do. The first thing, if that's your church, you need to get out of the church. That simple. It, it may be a church that you've been going to your whole life. None of that matters. This is a church that is apostate, and they're teaching children to be apostate as well. And to get them at a church youth group or, or, a, or a camp or retreat or something and brainwash them with the ideas of this world uh, is is one of the worst possible things. Jesus said that uh, it, it's better for somebody not to have been born uh, if they cause one of God's little ones to stumble. And we have a responsibility, Anonymous, uh, to um, represent Jesus correctly, uh, and especially to those who are younger and supportive. Now, you know, our kids, and I don't know how old your kids are. At youth group, I would imagine, is junior high or high school. Um, but But they're so exposed to social media that they're getting brainwashed all the time. So whatever this church is, the first thing you ought to do is complain to your pastor. Do it respectfully and nicely, but firmly, that your youth pastors are teaching my children to sin and saying that sin's okay. And I want uh, an apology. I want the correction made in front of all of the kids. And then what you're going to do is you're going to find out where your church really stands on this. That's very, very important. Um, it is not what Jesus would have done when Jesus found a woman who was um, caught in the very act of adultery. He told her, go and sin no more. Uh, if Jesus came to uh, one of our kids today and they were involved in an LGBTQ lifestyle, uh, he would say, um, I forgive you, but now go and sin no more. And so that's what we have to do. So um, I, I have been really blessed, Anonymous, with um, two youth pastors, a junior high school and a high school youth pastor. We've actually raised them in the church, uh, known them since they were little tiny, tiny kids. And uh, they are, in fact, um, solid in their doctrine. They deal with this stuff all the time. And the answers that we give to these kids are very, very consistent, very consistent, and they're going to get the word, the word, the word. So that's all. Your church has abandoned the Bible, if that's the case, and um, uh, I think it's really, really important that you get out of that church for your health spiritually and the rest of your family's health as well. On On a related note, let me say very quickly, two weeks from tomorrow, on the 19th of this month, um, you know, I have a, a pastor's discipleship class here every other Saturday. Uh, it's two hours long, 1030 to 1230. And usually it's just for a group in the church that are really committed to serving and and, and, and men who feel called to be a pastor uh, and their wives. Um, but but also there's there's a lot of other people in the church that are just, I want to serve the Lord, and they want to dig deep. So that, that class, there's probably 60 or 70 people that show up typically in that class. And I've been doing this for the most of the 27 years that we've been here. I think 26 years I've been doing this. And on the 19th of this month, two weeks from tomorrow, I've asked the two youth pastors to do the pastor's discipleship class, and we're going to invite the parents of of, uh, of of kids in our youth groups um, to, to come to the class and, and say, now you're going to hear what your kids are telling our youth pastors. You're going to hear what they're dealing with, the questions that they're dealing with, the social media brainwashing that they're getting with, and, and, and how they deal with it. So if you want to know what your kids are hearing, 
that's the the opportunity and i'll extend that invitation to you anonymous or to anybody really in the in the in the radio audience who wants to come so that's the 19th of november 2 weeks from tomorrow from 10:30 in the morning until 12:30 and my two youth pastors are going to uh, uh going to conduct that meeting thank you for the question let's go to melissa on line 1 and from san antonio melissa thanks for calling you're on the air Hi, Pastor Ron. Good to hear you. Your Thank you. Your show has been great so far. Um, I actually have a friend in California. He's a, a friend that uh, of my younger brother, and he was diagnosed uh, six years ago with a debilitating chronic illness. And, um, you know, I, I know him uh, as a brother, and he's just had such a, a life of interestingness. I, I talked to him for quite a while last night, and I just want to be able to guide him somehow in, in um, getting a relationship with uh, Jesus. Uh, you know, people tend to think that they've done so much wrong in their past mm. that they have to do something in order to be forgiven by Christ instead yep. of just you know, repenting and um, not dwelling in the past of what's going on. Um, they just feel so burdened by uh, their past. And I was yeah. just wondering if you could maybe address this um, and maybe uh, give some kind of uh, reading, or not necessarily reading, because what he has has affected his eyesight. So I'm going to direct him to some of your uh, past teachings that you have online that he can talk to. But, you know, again, for the people who are just weighed down yeah. by the past, and, and it's, it's not a pretty past, it is definitely not a pretty past at all whatsoever, but that Christ comes along and he takes that from the person. And if you could just address that, and I will listen offline. And I'll see you tonight. Okay, Melissa, thank you very, very much. Um, oh, I could I could do so much on this. First, let me just direct him. Um, you know, all of our Bibles now come in audio uh, on your Bible apps and things like that. He can get the U version on his phone. Um, have him had... Have, Philippians read to him, uh, Acts chapter nine. Um, he can go and listen to that. Um, we've got a, a man who was a murderer. The apostle Paul gave the the thumbs up to Stephen's stoning. Uh, he persecuted the Church of Jesus Christ. He'll later say that I'm the chief of all sinners. Literally, the worst of the worst is how the translation is. And then he goes on to gloriously declare how God's grace changed his life. There's also a book that I can recommend that I'm certain is available on audio uh, someplace. It's called Why Grace Changes Everything. It was written by my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's now in heaven. And Why Grace Changes Everything. And it sort of deals with the infinite, wonderful, glorious grace of God. And unbelievers simply won't receive that. Now, um he might also, uh, Melissa, go to our website, since you've already introduced him with that, and listen to my testimony. Uh, my testimony. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm worse than he is. Uh, I was worse than, than the stuff he's done in his past. Um, and and the, 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 the gift of God's grace toward me ought to help him understand that if God can forgive that guy and make him a pastor, well, then he can certainly forgive me. But it's just so worldly. It's the lie of the devil that says, no, you got to make up for all the wrong you do. And, and, and of course, those of us who've done great wrong, that seems like an impossible hill to climb. Jesus said that anybody that believes in him, his sins are as far from him as east is from west. That's a great picture because you can go east all you want. You'll never start going west. Um, it, it's an infinite. Our sins are thrown in the deepest, darkest ocean. And the freedom, Melissa, for somebody to say, you mean I can be unburdened? My sin can go away? The answer is yes. 
I got all these things flowing in my, my mind and heart right now. A Pilgrim's Progress, if he's a reader, and this is a, another one, it's a classic that's available in audiobook. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is a wonderful picture of the burden of sin that gets wiped away and suddenly we're in freedom. And uh, he just needs to be able to understand that what he cannot do, only God can do. So I would just keep grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. That describes you. You don't deserve it, but he loved you so much, and he proved that he loved you, that even while you were sinners, Christ died for us. And if, if it's the word. Now, one other comment here, Melissa. I find, typically speaking, when people are so burdened with their own guilt, uh, with their own sin, that they're getting really close to the kingdom of God. You just keep telling them about the times of refreshing Peter talks about in Acts chapter 3 or 4. Um, I think chapter 4, times of refreshing will come upon you. And, and you know, to somebody whose past is is killing them, that time of refreshing sounds so appealing. And then, of course, I know you're praying for him, but just just be very direct with him. you got to be pretty arrogant to think that God could save other people, murderers, like the Apostle Paul, but he couldn't save you. Again, my testimony, God could save this man and make him a pastor, but you think somehow you're worse than he is? And just, again, keep grace, grace, grace. So why grace changes everything? I'm sure there's an audio book, um, Philippians, um, 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 the book of Acts starting in chapter 9, great, great, great stuff. And then I know, of course, that you're praying for him. Melissa, thank you very, very much. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one from Scott. He says, Pastor Ron, do you think there's a connection between 1 Thessalonians 5.14 and 2 Thessalonians 3.11-15? In the former passage, Paul talks about brothers who are idle. And in the later passage, Paul gets very specific about that idleness and being paid for the work that you do. It looks like he tried to gently remind them in 1 Thessalonians but then he had to uh, had to become stronger and more forceful in his point in Second Thessalonians. It seems to me like he had to write Second Thessalonians in part because they didn't heed his admonition in First Thessalonians. Uh, it assumes idleness had become a real issue. Um, and I, I think you're missing the point, Scott, of, of this. Uh, Paul was, I think, very bold in First Thessalonians. Uh, but but the real problem that he was addressing is. Uh, those in Thessalonica that um, were were being told that the people that they loved had who had died and Jesus hadn't come back yet, um, there was false teaching. Said, well, they just sort of missed out. And so um, when he when he gets to Second uh, um, Thessalonians, um, he's he's just being um, direct and and he's basically calling out those people that refuse to work and in particular he has the false teachers in mind uh, i just taught this passage uh not too long ago um scott and and um, um i got some negative pushback from it people thought i was being really really harsh um, when it says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction, do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. And somebody would say, well, well, why would we want them to be ashamed? Because you need to work. Being idle is not good for you. The Lord is trying to protect us um, from that which can harm us, that which will set us up right in the path of the devil. And, and so that's what he was doing. So this wasn't Paul piling on. This is just Paul. The false teachers are still circulating. They're the ones who are being supported or they're trying to be supported by the people in Thessalonica. Paul really loved these people. He cared for them and he was simply telling them, watch out. Those people who are idle do not associate with them. And then on a more general note, anyone who doesn't obey his instruction in this letter, not just in, um, in parts of the letter, but in the letter at all. 
So uh, it's still not good in the church when people refuse to work. Christian men uh, who refuse to work um, are are not walking in the will of God. They're not walking in the Spirit. It doesn't matter uh, whether or not you, how much you get paid. Uh, there's there's always virtue in an honest day's work. Um, working is part of what we were created to do. Um, even before the fall, work was a part of God's plan. Adam would work the garden. And it'd be much easier to work than after the fall, of course. But the idea is that work was always, God knew that we shouldn't be idle, so work was always a part of his plan. So thank you for the question, Scott. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from David. Are we supposed to, I'm sorry, are we really supposed to give up everything to follow Jesus? The answer is yes. Um, Now, he's going to let you keep most of your stuff, but we're supposed to offer our bodies, David, as living sacrifices. Now, um, people will say, um, that's a works-based salvation. Why do we have to give up everything? What we have to do is realize, having been born again, that everything that we have or ever will have belongs to God. It's not our stuff. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Um, so what we're supposed to do is give up everything. That doesn't mean that God wants you to empty your bank account and give it to me. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to make you live a destitute life. Um, but what it means is that we've got to be willing to offer our equivalent of Jesus' gift to us. And Jesus, of course, offered everything. He who is rich became poor for our sakes. He took on human flesh for us, for sinners. And our only legitimate response is say, God, everything I have now is yours. And when I say that, people freak out because they're, they're well, don't trust the Lord yet with their finances. What am I going to do? How am I going to make a living? God will be with you. And if we take whatever we have and say, Lord, it's all yours. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, I told the story about when when um, we first got here, we were only here for a few months, and we sold had to sell our truck, and we had nothing else to give. And God said, um, I, I, "In fact, I didn't even think about the truck. I just said, Lord, we have nothing else to give. How are we going to?" And He said, you, "You haven't given away everything yet." And I said, "Well, yes, we have. What are we?" And He said, "You got a truck." And we paid a dollar for the truck. It was actually a gift to us, and and some people in our old church fixed it up, made sure it was roadworthy and safe, and they put in air conditioning. In fact, and and I just thought, Lord, if if we give this up, we're Texans. We can't go back. And and He spoke to my heart, said, "That's exactly the commitment I want. That we're in this. I sold it that day. I mean, within literally. This is no exaggeration. Within literally an hour." If it took that, I'm, I'm surprised. Um, for $2,500, and I had to go home tell Paula, this is what the Lord said, but it's your truck too, and, and here's what it means. And, and Paula just looked right at me. She said, do whatever God tells you to do. And she never, ever, ever made me feel like I was being irresponsible. And so that's exactly what we did. And uh, God blessed abundantly. And and he's continued to bless abundantly. That's not why we gave up the truck. But the idea is God is going to let you keep most of your stuff, but not until you recognize that it's his stuff. He wants you to be a good steward of what he's blessed you with. And I think that's something that we have lost sight of. So, David, I hope that makes sense to you. We're inside now, I think, just a few minutes. So um, let me go to the next question. It'll probably be the last one. We've got David, uh, this is anonymous. Um, How should I handle a bad workplace environment? I really hate going to work. Anonymous, you're not going to like my answer, but it's simple. Take Jesus with you, and even that which is terrible will be good. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Uh, I understand bad workplace environments. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Ron, everybody hates God, and they use his name in vain, and they tell filthy stories and all this stuff, and it's almost like they're trying to harass me. And I, I always tell them, well, you know, God sends light into places that need light, and those are dark places. So you go and stand with and for Jesus. Take Jesus to work with you. As you're doing your work, talk to him. As you're as you're going throughout your day, work as unto the Lord so that, that you're giving your best 
uh, even in a difficult environment. And and you're going to find that Jesus is going to make a change in the way you perceive your work. You realize that he's your boss, that that he's the one you're serving. You're not doing it for the money they pay you. You're certainly not doing it for the other people there. But you're doing it because they need to see an example of how a godly man or woman does his or her job. And if we'll understand that, then we turn our work environment, our hostile work environment, into a mission field. And I think that's what we have to remember. They're not the enemy of our ministry. They're the object of our ministry. And and again, God's grace is sufficient. The presence of Jesus in his presence is the fullness of joy. It doesn't mean that the people are going to like you anymore or that you're going to like being made fun of anymore. What it means is that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So that's how you handle a bad workplace. Take Jesus to work with you. I say all the time, just be with Jesus. If you get up in the morning, get into the Word, spend some time in prayer with the Lord, and then you go to work, and the whole time you're driving in your car to work, Jesus sitting in the car with you, you're talking to Him. When you go in to do your job, you're taking Jesus with you. The presence of Jesus changes everything, Anonymous. The presence of Jesus changes everything. So, thank you for the question. That'll do it for today. A reminder, tonight I'm going to be teaching um, Philippians chapter 1, just three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. And then on um, Sunday, we're going to be having our communion Sunday service. And please, please, please don't forget to turn your clocks back when you go to bed Saturday night. I told everybody last week that when I come in this Sunday, I'm going to be looking like a million bucks because I'm going to get that hour of sleep back and the world will be right. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we will look forward to seeing you on Monday, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.